Welcome to Texas Veterans Mean Business, a production of the Entrepreneur Program of Texas Veterans Commission. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two of Texas Veterans Mean Business. I am Christina Mortel, business consultant with the Texas Veteran Entrepreneur Program. Today, my guest is Navy veteran Ray Mendez. Ray is the CEO and founder of Mendez Engineering based in San Antonio, and we are excited to hear all about his startup story. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you started Mendez Engineering. Sure. I'm originally from El Paso. I moved to San Antonio back in 2007. You know, I worked for another firm for a few years. And then after that, I guess the past when the economy went pretty down with the housing market, I actually was laid off. And I thought it would be pretty easy to get another job. But my wife highly encouraged me, you know, why do that? Why not just start something new? You were already thinking about it. So let's just do that. We did it. We figured that the market was so low that it had to go up. So we wanted to follow the trend going up. So was that around 2008, Ray? Yes, it was in 2008. When I actually left, it was 2012. Okay, so you left El Paso and then you came to San Antonio? No, I guess I, I miss that. I'm from El Paso, but we actually came from Miami. My wife had got a promotion and I followed her career at first. But we found that the market in Miami and the housing was so high that we we're like, we can live better than this back in Texas. So we moved back to Texas and we chose San Antonio because she loves San Antonio. She went to college here in San Antonio. So she thought this would be a great place to raise our family. Well, that's wonderful. How long has Mendez been in business then? We opened in January of 2012. So it's been eight great years. Ray, I want to learn a little bit more about what kind of projects and engineering that Mendez does. You know, we tend to do a wide range of items, especially when you're small. You tend to do a lot of a, a lot of everything. Primarily right now, we're working with public infrastructures. We work directly for the city of San Antonio and our subconsultants to other consultants on San Antonio water system projects. We also do private developments where we develop, you know, subdivisions or commercial lots. We try to be very, very diverse. We put our hands in a lot of different things. You know, I find that interesting because I think we tend to think we need to gravitate to one niche. But I kind of agree with you that if you can do things across the spectrum, right in there, there's more value in a way. And you bring expertise and perspective from different projects that I think other agencies or other companies would really value. So that's kind of interesting that you have a diverse toolkit, if you will. To that point, I'm really interested to understand. So are you doing then project management from end to end or just a portion of these projects? No, we're doing it from the beginning to end, all the way up to construction. There's a few times when they'll ask us to do some minimal construction oversight, but we typically start at the very beginning from the design, the concept, what they need. As civil engineers, we're pretty much the first people that actually diagnose or evaluate a property. We start even before architects even tend to do any type of work. So we're on pretty early, and then we continue on throughout the project till we get to construction. So, Ray, you talked a little bit about like your current project, I think you says, with the city of San Antonio. Mendez Engineering holds many certifications, including service-disabled vet-owned business on the federal space, Texas Hub, DBE, Small Business Enterprise, just to name a few. As a VP advisor, and I'm the Hub Outreach Coordinator for TVC, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences and how it has helped you? Maybe why you decided to get certified in the first place, and then I want to talk to you about your experience with local municipalities. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to start getting certifications. You know, like most people, you realize early on that it doesn't hurt. I did it because when I first started, I had so much time available for to do things, so I registered and certified to the South Central Texas Regional Certification Agency, which does most most of the local ones and the hub. In my opinion, I, I would 
highly recommend that anyone that can get certified does get certified. You don't know when you're going to actually need it. Being certified doesn't mean that people are going to come to you and ask you to do a certain job. You still got to go out there and showcase your capabilities and pretty much prove to everyone you're just as capable, but you also have the certification. It's not a guarantee, but I think it's highly beneficial because when the time comes and you have it, it's available to you. But more so is that when you have the certifications, I think people are more likely to talk to you in the first place. I think it's a benefit. Yeah, I've often told my vet business owners, give people another reason to say yes. It's another opportunity potentially. But I do want to talk about starting with the local space. And here's why. From where I sit, I'm always talking to veterans about the state hub and also uh, federal space with the SDVOB. But I am curious to know, obviously, if you've been working with the city of San Antonio or other municipalities, how's that going? And are there good opportunities out there? And how do you find them? I think there are opportunities out there. Typically, the way we look at it, because we go on the websites and we track what the opportunities that are coming up, whether it's a bid, it's a little different for designers because ours are based on qualifications. It's not by lowest bidder. We actually have to put in a packet on our qualifications and they rate them from there and they select us. I still think that the way the city runs it, they still have goals that they're trying to set. So many of these goals are announced early on. In regards to the veteran certification, the only entity that I see that tracks that, but you don't get any extra credit for it is the San Antonio water system. I'm hoping they're tracking it so they can eventually put that into giving you extra credit or some sort of you know opportunity based on the veteran status. So when you're dealing with the local municipality, do you just go straight to their procurement teams or how do you find those opportunities? You go to the city website and then you look under procurements or something like that? We're actually registered with the city as a vendor. We typically will get an email or a notice when an opportunity comes out that's related to our next code or our capabilities. So I think anybody that registered would be on the same area under the same criteria. But you can always go to the website and look at them directly. You'd have to probably do that every day, but that way you can catch something that aligns with what you're doing. Yes. Has being HUB certified by the state helped you at all with any opportunities? HUB certified, not as of yet, but I guess with some of the firms that we work with or SAWS, for instance, SAWS would accept the HUB, but since we have the local certs, we never use it. So I guess technically it does use it, but they accept it too. So it, it has helped. So Ray, on your projects, are you the prime or are you working with the prime? We actually do both. We have a couple of contracts with the city of San Antonio as a prime, with CPS Energy as a prime, Canyon Lake Water System as a prime, and the VA as a prime. But for SAWS, we're sub-consultants to several firms here in San Antonio. I'd like to understand if you can shed any light on what it is like to find the primes. In other words, if you were a smaller firm or just starting out and you wanted to get your feet wet, so to speak, how can you find the prime that's working on the project for the city or the state or whatever. How do you go about doing that and getting, you know, in contact with them or getting mindshare around what you could deliver to help them with their requirements for um, SDVOB or DBE to fulfill their MWE requirements? Before the pandemic started, they typically would have um, pre-bid type meetings or pre-submittal mm -hmm. meetings. Mm -hmm. So that has gone away for most part, but some of them are still being done virtually. And when you see go through those virtually, you can still see the firms and usually there'll be a signing list so you can know who was at the meeting. 
then you can reach out to them separately, individually, which I've done in the past. The drawback about that is a lot of times when you're having that pre-bid meeting, their teams have already been established. They're just at the meeting to dictate what they need to do and better their proposal. The advantage is at least you see who's in it now. And then when another one comes up, maybe you start reaching out to them early on. So that way, before the other one comes out, you're already talking to them and maybe even get on a team. That's the hardest part is getting in a team. Even though we've been around eight years, it took years for me to get on a team or a winning team, I, I should say. So when you say team, you mean when the prime select you or uh, two or three different contractors come together to fulfill a contract? Yes, absolutely. So it took a while to get established. There's really a, a huge business development component that you have to do, I would think. You know, you have to out there make people aware of who you are and what you can do and all the capabilities. And I'm glad you mentioned the capability statement. We talk about that a lot, too, with our veterans, helping them highlight their certifications, their past experience and their past performance, or if they're just starting out, highlighting their past experience that's relevant. It seems to be a challenge for many of our startups when you were just starting out, were you thinking about teaming with anyone or doing any kind of joint venture? The way the city of San Antonio projects go out here specifically, and I guess in design pursuits, almost everything is always a joint venture because you, you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that most other disciplines are the same way. There's really no way you can actually do everything that a contract would require. You just got to try to figure out what exactly you want to do, how you can do it, and reach out to these primes. You mentioned that having a business development person is one of the first things that I realized when I started the company that I needed immediately but couldn't afford it because mm -hmm. there would be typically be pure overhead type function. That's one of the things that you learn how to do. You, you kind of learn how to be a business development person early on because that's the way you're going to get in front of people that are going to make the decisions on putting you on a team. I haven't done a joint venture. I haven't been approached with one that would be worth doing, but I'm not against joint ventures either because I think they are beneficial. Okay, that's good to know too. Are you familiar with the uh, mentor-protege programs with the statewide hub, historically underutilized business? I am. I haven't done that one. I've done the local one here in the city a few years ago and we graduated from that program, but I'm imagining it's, it's similar to that. Are you doing private sector work? Yes. Did they require any kind of special certifications or did they recognize the other certifications that you had obtained? So far, I don't have any clients that even look at that. They want to use whoever they know or trust, I guess. There is a lot of private sector people that do look at that, like the bigger, I think HEB is probably one of them. I can't think of another one offhand. But I think HEB, even though the private sector, they do look at that and pursue it, but they're the only ones that I can think of offhand. So Ray, for your business, your engineering business, what percentage of business would you say is government versus private sector? Uh, this year, I would say... 90% of it is government. We typically try to stay 50-50. We've never been exactly at 50%, but this year it's been 90% on public. At least the business was there because I did want to talk to you a little bit about COVID. How were you impacted personally and obviously in the business since March of this year? What happened and how did you handle it? Initially, you know, I think we were more fearful of what could happen because if we started losing employees or ourselves and couldn't meet their deadlines, we were worried that that would drastically affect our capabilities and how people saw us. But when, when the city came out and announced what the categories were on who was considered essential, we saw that we fall under infrastructure. So we knew that, okay, we can actually go keep working. So we actually never left our office. We continue to work. I think most of the stuff that's going to hit, it's going to hit us probably in a few months from now because all the projects, I guess, they were already funded. So it didn't really affect us too bad. 
we have the advantage that because it didn't affect us immediately that we were able to prepare for what's going to come up in the next few months. That's very helpful knowing that it could potentially hit us. So you did not have to take advantage of PPP or IDLE, or did you? No, I did take advantage of that. Uh, I applied for both, but I only received the PPP. And that was because it was able to help you retain your employees? Absolutely. They gave us the funding to pay for the employees. And even though we still continue to work, everybody didn't continue to pay. So it made a big difference. Having that PPP, you know, it gave you the confidence that to keep going because we actually hired people during the early months of the pandemic when most people were laying off. Well, that's awesome. Currently, Ray, how many temporary or permanent employees do you have? Right now we have 15. Do you have any projects or enough in the pipeline to keep that team? And do you see that growing? We're hoping it'll grow. We have plenty of work for everybody to keep on working. We won't know for sure until the budgets, are, I guess, are established with the city and all our people that we tend to do work. We've always looked outside of San Antonio for potential projects. I think we're doing a little bit more of that just to see if there's anything that we could chase after. I guess we're broadening our opportunities by looking a little bit outside San Antonio to see what else is out there. Ray, in 2021, do you have any projects planned or uh, that you're currently seeking, you know, larger infrastructure projects that you may be able to help on or bid on? Yes. Right now, if I would say that there's a firm or I would say SAWS is a primary person that I think is continuing to need our services. So mm-hmm. we see them as a primary person to pursue projects as, and most of those pursuits are actually as a subconsultant. We have a good reputation now of having quality work, putting it on time. Because of that, we've become like one of the primary firms that prime consultants chase after. That's probably our biggest focus, but we'll continue to look at whatever is out there that we can chase. Every city has their own website and have opportunities that are coming up. So we're just tracking those and seeing which one fits our capabilities. So Ray, does Mendez Engineering subcontract out anything else? In other words, do you seek other subcontractors to fulfill your requirements? Absolutely. And the project that we work with, the Department of Veteran Affairs, mm-hmm. we actually subconsult architectural services, MEP services, other disciplines that we don't do internally. And all projects that we work with, not just, let's say, the city of San Antonio, we don't have surveying capabilities, so we use surveying firms. We ourselves subcontract to other firms. And you mentioned, obviously, your STVOB, and you're currently working with the VA. So I think you just referenced that. Is that an infrastructure project, and is that a multi-year project you're working on? One of the current ones we have right now is updating sidewalks and roadways for the VA in Dallas. We went out at the site. They said these certain spots do not meet ADA requirements, and we're redesigning them to meet all the ADA requirements. And it's the same with the roadway. And some of them, it's not that they were constructed out of compliance. It's just over time you know, water was seeping or something happened where they deteriorated to the point where they're no longer compliant. Of course, the VA, we got to make sure that all the VA customers or patients are taken care of, especially at that big campus. So we're doing that currently. Ray, how did you find out about that opportunity or how do you engage with the VA? That specific one was another RFQ that came out. I want to say comes out every four or five years, but two years ago, they came out with an RFQ saying that they want people to submit their qualifications to the VA. And when we did that, we won and we periodically get a notice, a notification of an opportunity to provide a proposal to them. And that's how we won that one. Well, I've been talking to veterans and trying to inform them about the Office of Small Business that they have, the OSDBU. And I don't know if you engage with them directly or how you found out that the opportunity existed. Is it through SAMS that you went through to find it? I mean, I guess I'm curious how you did it the first time or how did you find the opportunity that when the RFQ came out? SAMS is a way to do it now. I mean, you can go on there and look at it. But originally what happened was 
there was a woman-owned firm, architectural firm, that was working for the VA. And this was about, I want to say, eight years ago. And I guess at that time, the VA switched from women-owned firms to service-disabled rent-owned firms as their mm-hmm. primary focus. And that firm had been doing it for years. And they pretty, they looked me up, they saw me, they came over here and they explained that, hey, we have a strong team that already does this for the VA and we're no longer going to be able to pursue it. And they want to know if I would be interested in teaming up with them. And I looked at it and I said, sure. At that time, I'd never gone anything with my certifications. But I told them flat out, like, you know, I've never won anything with my certification, but the team looks great and I'll be happy to do it. And we did it. And maybe six months after that, I got my first task order. Well, that's quite an accomplishment. I think many folks think about working with a VA as really an uphill battle or it's such a long runway to get it from start to launch, so to speak. So it's good to hear that, you know, a success story (laughs) uh, that, you know, you were able to engage in how it came about. And then, of course, how the certification also helped you as well. That's great. I think it's good to people know, you know, this can happen and it's uh, possible. So that's really important. I wanted to talk to you too on a more personal side. So obviously you've been in business now for eight years, right? Right. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges or sacrifices you've had to make along the way? The biggest one is when I first started that I didn't pay myself for two years. That put a lot of, I don't want to say burden, but it put more pressure on my wife because she was the sole provider at that time. But she was fully committed. And when you take a risk, you take a risk. And I think it was a good risk. And she was on board all the way through. So I think that was the toughest part is we didn't want to change our lifestyle. We happened to have our, at the time, our daughter was at private school. And we didn't want to change anything like that. We liked where she was at and we just pushed through and we managed to to eventually, after two years, eventually start paying myself. So it, it can be tough, but I think if you really want it, it, it's not impossible. I appreciate your honesty with that. And that's something that we all try to tell our potential clients that at some point you do have to pay yourself. And we try then when we're working on their financials with them to say, hey, when do you think you'll be able to pay yourself? It may be six months, it may be a year. And I don't think initially they think that way. To your point, we really have to build it out. And then you, you know, obviously had this goal in mind and you wanted to keep your lifestyle as much as possible. And thank God for your wife who was able to also help and sustain the family. That's so important. Then you were able to build, so that's great. I agree that that challenge is one that everyone feels, right, initially. One thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is what would you say or tell our listeners most about building a business? I mean, do you think it's being patient? Is it networking? Or what do you think really were some of the things that made a difference at the beginning? Patience is always going to be key. I do think that networking and when I mean networking, that doesn't mean go to everything. I mean, you, you have to have a really good plan on who do you want to talk to and where do you want to meet them. There's several people in all disciplines that go to certain events. And I think that's really the place to do it because they get to meet you. You can talk to them. And then hopefully you can, depending on what kind of event it is, you can even give them your card or your capability statement right there and then. But you also have to follow up on what you do. You can't just reach out to them one time. It's never going to work when you do that. No matter how positive the introduction or meeting was, you're going to have to keep yourself in their mind. So you're going to have to call them back, send them an email or visit them. You just got to always keep them in your mind. So when something comes up that you pop up in their mind immediately you got to be a little bit persistent about it. They're going to get a lot of no's. You can't get discouraged by that. And you're also going to get a lot of yeses, but they're just yeses in that, yeah, they want to help you, but unless they remember you, they're not going to. So you got to make sure they remember you. That's a good point, too. No, I, I think that that's really, you know, to your earlier point about business development, you had to 
definitely put yourself out there and really have a focused effort. And especially when you're working with a government, oh my gosh, you have to really spend a lot of time looking at the RFQs and doing the research, et cetera, what's out there, when it's coming. So, you know, I really admire you for that and look at all the success you have right now. So it's great. All this hard work really did pay off, right? Now, Ray, tell us a little bit about your military service. I actually joined the military after I graduated from college. I went to the School of Engineering at the University of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. I'm actually a construction engineering degree. I worked there for several years, but then um, pretty much after 9-11, you know, I had always wanted to serve. I just didn't do it. But after that, it drove something in me. I actually applied for commissioning with the Navy in, I want to say, 2002. Shortly after that, I got called up. They said, hey, you know, your commission was approved. I drove straight to the reserve center, swore in that same day. I still remember my first drill weekend when I showed up. There was people getting ready to retire, and they told me that. We've been here for over 20 years, and we've never been called to active duty. And less than two years, I got called up to go to Iraq. It was very different then. So I've been through two deployments with the Seabees, which was great experience. I learned a lot from that. So it, my career with the military was meant to be as a reservist, but I ended up being called up twice, and both times I, I served in Iraq. So, But it was a good experience. You know, you go to school for design, but this is going to be another option where now I can do the actual construction. So it was exciting to, to join a, a group that that's what they concentrated on. So when we went to Iraq, both times, all we were doing was building, you know, forward operation bases for the Marines, you know, it, and start from scratch in the sand. So it was exciting that we were literally doing stuff that nobody had done before. I mean, we were laying out camps for them and and, you know, their protection. So it was a great feeling to do that. Well, that's awesome. I mean, you put your skills to work right away, all your expertise, obviously support our troops. That's fabulous. Ray, if our listeners or other veteran small business owners want to get a hold of you, what is your website? Our website is mendisengineering.com. But they can send me an email, especially the veterans. I don't mind sharing what I know. I, I don't know how much it'll help them. I don't mind anybody asking me something and how I approached different levels of items that came up. No, that's great. So, Ray, what's your email? It's rmendis at mendisengineering.com. I want to thank our guest, Ray Mendez of Mendez Engineering. Ray's story was loaded with practical advice based on life experience, and there were so many great takeaways. I love the fact that his wife gave him the push he needed to start his own firm. I also thought his comments on business development were so relevant and a great teaching moment. Again, if you'd like to reach out to Ray, visit his website, mendezengineering.com for his contact information. Thank you for listening. I'm Christina Mortel, business consultant with the Entrepreneur Program of Texas Veterans Commission. We have moved all our podcasts to the Anchor app, and the shows are now all available on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 